Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, the Bible, and Lord, we thank you for the instruction that that gives us um, tonight. And so, Lord, help us to focus on what you're saying and um, guide us um, in listening to what we have to hear tonight. Amen. Well, the passage that we just read is actually a wonderful passage. God's informing us how we ought to shape our lives. The, the passage is profoundly practical and hands-on. It explains how we ought to behave in our everyday relationships that we find ourselves in. It gives us guidance and direction in how those relationships should, should look. As Christians, we were once enemies of God, but through Christ, God has made us friends with him. And he didn't just leave us then to figure out how to live our lives. No, he guides us and directs us in these matters. So with that in mind, let's begin by looking at what Paul was saying to the Colossian Christians. Point one on your outline and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul starts out by saying, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. For many of us, the word submit conjures up ideas of a tyrannical male ordering people around to meet his every need and desire, or at least something along that lines, if not that serious. But that's not what Paul had in mind at all. To help us understand what Paul is saying to Christians about this most significant relationship we find on earth, we will need to look at Ephesians chapter 5. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that would probably be a good idea. And it might also be helpful just to keep your finger in both Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Ephesians, Paul has just finished listing the different characteristics of the godly person and concludes by saying that everyone must submit to one another. As Christians, we need to submit to one another to voluntarily yield in love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We find this characteristic of the Christian scattered throughout the New Testament. And don't bother looking finding them all. They're in your um, outline for later on. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In humility, consider others better than yourself. Or in 1 Peter 4, verse 5, it says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And of course, we find the ultimate example of this in the person and life of Jesus Christ, who showed us ultimately what it meant to be submissive. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, it says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We must not look at our fellow Christian brothers and sisters with contempt, or jealousy, or envy, or even pity. But instead, we must submit to them because Christ himself has made us subject to himself and he requires us to be submissive. It is in this context that Paul addresses the three different relationships that are found in the household, that of wives and husbands, children and parents, and slaves and masters. So verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, every passage of the New Testament that deals with this issue calls the wife to submit to her husband. 
to voluntarily yield in love to her husband. This is not directed to every woman to be submissive to every man. Paul is not saying that every relationship between a man and a woman must be characterized by this, but rather that a wife must be submissive to her husband. Paul is also not suggesting that the wife is inferior or that the husband is superior. We must not forget that all who are in Christ are saved, both male and female. It is entirely possible for a wife to be submissive without losing her ability to think and act. What Paul is saying is for the wife to voluntarily share her thinking and actions in submission to her husband. She must submit to his leadership of the family and allow him to lead the family. This won't be restricting or demoralizing at all. Wives must also submit as is fitting in the Lord. God has established the husband as head of the household. For a more detailed explanation of this, we would turn to Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul explains in, in much more detail that marriage is an earthly example of Christ in the church. He plainly states that wives are to be submissive to their husbands as the church is submissive to Christ. A wife who willingly submits to her husband's authority will not find that, re- that submission restrictive or demoralizing. Paul now turns his attention to husbands. Looking at Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's interesting to note that the husband's role of headship was stated to the wife. And indeed, as we go on, you will see that it's actually stated to the children and to the slaves. And not to the husband. Paul is calling husbands to love their wife. The loving husband gives himself for his wife. Again, if we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we're reminded that marriage is an example of Christ in the church. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, please. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to be self-giving to their wife for their wife's benefit. It's a selfless love that looks after his wife before himself that always thinks about the impact that his actions and thoughts and attitudes will have on his wife. His headship over his wife will not be overbearing or negative or oppressive, but instead it will nourish and cherish his wife, who as his equal submits to his headship. It's a rather beautiful relationship, actually, between two people who have become one flesh. But the amazing thing is that God designed it as a very concrete example of the relationship between the church and Jesus. So, how does all this work itself out in the day-to-day routines of married life, either with kids or without kids? As we have seen, a wife willingly submits to her husband, who acts out his headship over her in love. Wives, you must let your husbands lead the family. You must recognize and support your husband as head of the family, not belittling his role, or authority, or playing lip service to it, or trying to take it over. This actually may mean, at times, that you will have to take a step back and let your husband make mistakes. Even if you are sure you can do it better, or do it error-free. You must support your husband in his leadership and allow him to lead. Husbands, you must put your wife's needs above your own needs. You must lovingly lead her and your family presenting them holy, just as Christ presented the church holy. You must not discourage her or belittle her or frustrate your wife. 
There's no room for you to sit back and to watch your family go by. You must step up and lead them because that is what the Lord requires of you. It's shown that in many families, the wife takes control of the training and instruction of the children. And this is particularly so when it comes to biblical instruction and training. However, that job's not the job of one person, the job of your wife. It's you and your wife's job, and it's your job to lead the whole thing and to maintain its forward direction in the right, forward motion in the right direction. Husbands, you must stand up and take firm hold of this now. And if you find yourself single here tonight and desiring to be married, then it's important for you to consider as a female whether or not you're prepared to submit to your potential husband. You will need to be willing to come under his authority and leadership. And this question is a question that needs to be asked and considered before you're married, not after. See, God is, not, God is more concerned that you obey the structure he has put in place in marriage more than he is concerned about your marital status. And as a single man desiring to be married, you must be prepared to lead your family, to take an active role in guiding and directing your wife and potential children. And in order for your potential wife to be able to truly consider whether or not she can submit to you, you must be exhibiting the qualities of sacrificial and leadership, sacrificial love and proper leadership before you are married. Now is the time to start displaying these qualities, not after the wedding ceremony. But there's still much more Paul has to say about the relationships found in the household. Point two on your outline and uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Paul is loosely quoting from the fifth commandment found in Deuteronomy chapter 20. He's calling children, or those under the authority of their parents, to obey them, to submit to them. And he says that this must happen in everything. God has established parents as the primary caretaker of their children. And indeed, parents are the ones who are held responsible for the upbringing, training, and instruction of their children. I think in few other times in the life of a child is this command so difficult than in the teenage years. So if you're a teenager sitting here tonight, then make no mistake that Paul is commanding you to obey your parents in everything. He makes no qualifying statements such as obey your parents if you feel like it, or obey your parents unless what they're asking of you is unreasonable, or obey your parents unless you think you can do it in a better way. You are commanded to obey your parents, and you must submit to their leadership over you. You must remember that they are responsible to God for the way they raise you, and therefore they will need to take that job very seriously. You must lovingly yield to their authority. Paul continues his instruction about this relationship by shifting focus to the other side. He calls on fathers specifically to be very cautious in how they deal with their children. As head of the household... Fathers are ultimately responsible for the training and instruction of the family. But obviously this does not exclude the wife in the training and instruction of the children. There's been many an instance where a leader or a team manager of a company must take on the consequences of the actions of those he or she is managing, whether those are good or bad consequences. The word embitter found in Colossians there is not a word we use frequently these days. The similar passage in Ephesians chapter 6 offers a much better word, the word exasperate, 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. As parents, you must be very careful in the pressures that you put on your children. There are many a parent who are pushing their son to play soccer or footy because they think they enjoy it, and they most likely do. But deep down, there's that desire for him to make the state rep team or to be the lead player, simply because dad didn't quite make it that far as a kid. A Sydney Morning Herald article published October 10, 2005, explains the stress that HSC students find themselves under from parents. I quote, There is unbelievable parental pressure. Kids have been promised BMWs if they get a particular score. A Sydney Year 12 selective school student, who did not want to be named, said competition was good for pushing students to further their knowledge, but it also created undue stress. He goes on to explain, It's absolutely ridiculous. Selective high schools don't always contain the smartest students. They contain the students who have the most motivated parents. <laughs> Many students in his class have sat the exam required to apply for a medical degree at university. And he goes on to say, when I asked a number of them if they actually wanted to do medicine, the vast majority said they only sat the exam because their parents wanted them to. That's a pretty good example of exasperation. I believe it's also called living vicariously through your children. <laughs> that amount of stress, that amount of pressure does not allow a child to realize his or her full potential and gifts and abilities. As parents, you must encourage your child, train your child in how to deal with the different things that life throws at them, and most importantly, train them in the Bible and in Jesus Christ. As parents, you must also be careful in how you discipline your child, as this too, if not done thoughtfully and prayerfully, can also lead to exasperated children. I don't need to tell you that every child is different, and that for each child, the form of discipline is ultimately different. So again, we find Paul explaining the beautiful relationship between children who willingly obey their parents, who carefully train and discipline them without embittering their children. Paul now turns his attention to that of slaves and masters. Point three in your outline and uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, Paul is not advocating slavery, but rather he's speaking to a particular people at a particular time about the situations they found themselves in. You see, Paul of May has spent these many verses he does talking about slaves and masters because his letter was being delivered to the Colossians by Onesimus and Tychicus. Now, Onesimus was the runaway slave turned Christian of Philemon who happened to live at Colossae. In fact, slavery in the New Testament times took on a slightly different look than what we commonly think of when we think of slavery. Many slaves in the time of Paul were actually paid for their work, and some even held prominent positions as teachers or doctors. And indeed, Paul, by including slaves and masters in his instructions on Christian households, does not seem to deem slavery a totally unacceptable form of relationship. Although it was viewed by the apostles, Paul and the other ones, as a relationship that was passing away in certain regards. But that's for another time. 
And so when Paul calls on those who find themselves to be slaves, to be, to be obedient to their masters in everything, it's not too big of a step to conclude that in our present day, we could refer to the relationship between employee and employer. Oftentimes tenuous, unenjoyable, fraught with worries and frustrations, our workplaces can be a big challenge for us to submit to our supervisors or our bosses. And this can be particularly true um, where non-Christians are involved or where we don't enjoy our job. And Paul calls on the masters of slaves to treat them fairly and rightly. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. However, it's in the middle of Paul's instructions to slaves and masters that we find much more practical instruction on how to live our daily lives. Look with me at verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Paul is telling the Colossian church that there is much more behind the everyday, normal, routine work that they find themselves in. He is reminding them that it is not only the master that they are working for, but indeed their father in heaven. He's putting an eternal perspective on the normalcy of everyday life. For whatever we are to do, we are to view it as working for the Lord. That all of a sudden increases the importance of everything we do in everything we do. From reading the Bible, to talking to our spouse, to catching up with friends, to raising our children, to working with our colleagues, to doing the laundry, to changing the oil, to doing our homework, to washing the dishes, to watching TV, to cooking. We mustn't forget that in everything we are serving the Lord Jesus. And we know that God has stored up for us wonderful riches and rewards in heaven. It's not to attain these rewards that we serve Jesus, but rather because of the rewards. And Paul is also careful to include a warning. He warns in verse 25 that the unfaithful servant or the unjust master will not escape because God does not show favoritism. There's no opportunity for simply being a good person or doing all the right things. God is holy and perfect, and he will judge fairly and rightly. Now, we must actively think and work out what it means to serve Jesus faithfully in the everyday, normal routines of our life. These are the areas we often look at last, but oftentimes these are the areas that need the most attention. Areas such as our viewing or our reading habits, or our topics of conversation, or the way we handle our money, or our recreational choices. It's vitally important that we forget, not forget, who it is we are really serving. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's because of our new life in Christ that we live the way we do and why we faithfully serve God in all areas of our life. It's not just to have the perfect marriage or to raise the best children, 
God calls us to behave this way because of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. To him be the praise and glory forever and ever.